Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Tech Deep Dive. It is an honor and a privilege to be joined today by Dominic Facher with Zoom Info. And of course, my more than esteemed colleague, Nicholas. How are you doing today? Uh, just great. <laughs> doing great. Thanks for having me. Dominic, we're so excited to bring you on the show. Obviously, Zoom Info is, if not the, it's one of the key players in the sales technology space. And we know from your perspective, it is the key player in the sales technology space. We want to dive in on first how you started with Zoom Info. What was the initial problem that was being solved? And now bring us up to date with what you're working on to solve these problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, thanks for having me. Excited to be on and talk about this with you. That's obviously near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, Zoom Info, I think even from the early days when Henry started the company, I think he would still say it's about modernizing go-to-market, which means you need to find your next best customer. You need to reach that customer or you need to grow your customer base. That's been the case back then as much as it is today. When Henry started, the company was still called Discover.org. And Part of the core problem was the sellers back then, they, they went to like office parks to find customers, right? And so the way that you go through is you start with the first one, you ring the bell, and you go to the second one, you go to the third one. And it's obviously very different today, but it's just figuring out what are all the companies that are out there? Who are the right people in those companies that I should be targeting? And then should I actually target somebody to be more efficient with where I go after? That was kind of the core problem. So taking kind of what's the Rolodex of a salesperson and probably not in a CRM into a, no, 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 we have a database. There's actual data behind this. I can take this into the cloud. I can update that and I can make it transparent and fresh to the rest of the customer base. When you abstract that a little bit, that brings us to, it's the same problem today. It's the CRM is not up to date. We actually don't know when and where we're engaging with our customers. Who are the right customers? How many more are out there? And that's really the problem that we're solving and still solving. It's just that go-to-market really advanced so much in the last 10, 15 years that when you say, how do I find my next customer? Well, it means, do I actually have all the dynamic territories out there? Do I have all the right data about their behavior, about their buying patterns, about their habits? Do I have all the activity data about my customers? Like every time a sales rep had an interaction, could be through conversation intelligence, could be through email. How do I reach them? That's usually online channel at this point between marketing, advertising, sales engagement, and then growing the entire customer base. So today we're a lot more full funnel from the first touch point to marketing all the way through to closing a deal, the customer success teams, account management teams that make it more than half of our customer base today. But it's long and short. You need the best data set. You need to know who your customers are. You need to know how to interact with them, when you interacted with them, which ones are the good ones. And that data back then, as much as today, is probably not in the CRM. It's an evergreen problem. So if we go back, you kind of change it a bit. The industry back then, there was a lot of lists. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is that you took a deliberate approach to data quality and comprehensiveness before you started to make all those acquisitions and become as large as you are today. Can you unpack a little bit this secret sauce that you had at the beginning and how it evolved when you kind of expanded your data set? Because I feel it's particularly central to your value proposition. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And even 
before I start there, it's the same today. And that's still part of the secret sauce. It just evolved. But yeah, you made exactly the right point. If I had the choice between getting a large, lower quality list that I can go after, or you can tell me the C-level decision makers at the top 100 accounts, and you're accurate because they're still working there. I have the right phone number. I have the right email address. I'd always pick the smaller data set with a highly likely to engage or interested relevant person. And that's kind of how Discover started. It was very, very specific. It went into specific accounts and made sure the data was at extreme quality. When you go through this kind of set of acquisitions, at this point, it's, I think, 13 overall that Zoom Info, they're all geared towards, we'll take that quality approach, but we'll scale it. And we'll scale it either through additional data sets. We didn't have intent data in the beginning. Now we have the best intent data set in the market, but similar type of approach, or I'll expand throughout the funnel. And all those funnel acquisitions, they basically do the same thing again. Cores is a great example. We're now capturing conversations. And that's a great tool for the front line. But even more importantly, we actually get a lot of data and insights into the quality of the people and the interactions that we then can feed back and make a customer's data set better. So if I'm a customer and I use cores and some info together, all of a sudden I know, hey, I just had a meeting invite. There were three people. One of them was a C-level decision maker. That person joined the meeting. First of all, that means they're still there. Second, I now got engagement. And that engagement basically helps me be more effective, prioritize more. So same, same pattern. The one last thing I'll say, that's to your original question. We started out with the demographic or firmographic data. So people data, contact data, and company data. And you need the best data set to find the right people. When you look at the market today, a lot of the heat, a lot of the opportunity comes from signal data, buying signals, some kind of signal that an account is in market. It's the same approach. I can get a lot of intent data out there, probably more noise than quality. And I think the key in what our customers gain real traction on, same pattern, is if we get the best data set that's actionable and that's relevant, and that somebody can execute on and they'll have a good experience using that, they're going to be happy and they're going to be continue to be a customer. Yeah, that would be interesting to double-click because Signal, everybody talks about signals. <laughs> I think you have a pretty wide range of uh, signals. So can you give us a global view of the type of uh, signal and intent data that you can bring to the sellers and also marketers that you are serving? Yeah, it's a great question. Indeed, look at it between sales and marketing as kind of one funnel. The most important part is, I think we all believe that the day and age where you can kind of just cold outbound and it's going to be successful, that's probably not going to be the case for too long if it's not already over, versus I need to target the right person at the right time. Sounds very basic. That's a function of relevance for the most part. And so when we think about intent, or we call it in-market signal, it's a variety of different types of signals that would the top of the funnel indicate that somebody is interested in that solution. That could be a classic intent, meaning they research a website or they research content in that area. It could be that they just change jobs. So, you know, if a certain champion of yours switched to a new company, that's an incredible buying signal that chances are if they're a happy customer and they move to a new account, you should probably engage with them. Either you have a new champion or you have a new customer if they're not already on your solution. We get signal from getting RFPs. We know if companies put an RFPs. We know when they're hiring for a certain functions. So if they hire a new compliance person, we know about that. If they're starting to hire a group of SDRs, 
We know about that. All of those are basically signals when they add or drop a certain technology. That's a really great use case. And it's all sorts of behaviors that you can pick up in the market. And those behaviors are usually a good indicator that somebody's more likely to be in market. Therefore, they're a better fit. Then you combine that with your ICP. So we have a whole set of, we call them account fit score, which is machine learning that basically tries to figure out based on all of the deals that you've closed so far, which ones are the good ones? What are the characteristics of an account? And so when you build that two by two matrix, it's actually going to get really interesting. What are the good fit accounts that currently show all the right triggers to be in market? That's where you should spend all of your resources on. That's where your marketing campaigns go after. That's where your sales campaigns go after. If one of them comes in, you probably route them differently. You put them to your best rep, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of where signal data becomes really actionable and powerful. And then the last thing I'll say here is the, and it's relevant to most of everything that we do, there is the company universe. So understanding that a company is out there in market, that's really important and interesting. What's equally important and hard as a problem is, and now how do I find the right person to go after in that? And so two products that our customers use a lot to do that is one, we have personas or buying committees that figures out a certain type of product. This is who you usually go after. And then we have likely to engage, which is basically a data set around this person is more likely, and it turns out 4x more likely, that's our bar, to pick up the phone or respond to an email based on all the data that we've seen when you reach out to them. Between that, you're going to be really, really quick between I log in in the morning, here are the accounts that are in the market. Those are the ones that fit my ideal customer profile. Here's the three, five, six, 10 people that are likely to engage. And now I know exactly who to go after and where. And that's where signals come in. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I think at one point, you had this notion of to explain how to bring together data and all those signals and into the workflows, you use the term data orchestration, which I think is the cornerstone of how you bring the two together. I don't know if you still use the terminology, but there was this notion of pulling the data, making sense of it and delivering it. Maybe you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. We have this belief where go-to-market is really 90% of it is execution. Right? Like You can have the right strategy, the right data, but it's really about execution. And execution means the salesperson that's in front of a lead or customer, they're doing the right activity, they're spending all the right time on the right accounts, the right resources, et cetera. When you break that down, the way we think about the world is you have the data asset that we just talked about, but then it's really about the orchestration across all the different channels, basically the activation of that data asset that really makes it. Like, take an example. We talked about champion tracking before. We do that for a large set of, of customers, especially the larger enterprise accounts, really interested in that. So you have a champion in a specific account. And so now that champion changes their job. So you want to reach out to them. Sounds very easy. When you peel back the onion a little bit more, what you actually want to do is first, you want to detect that that is an actual job change of that champion. So Mintful can help you with that. Then you want to go into the old account and you want to make sure you still have a champion. Otherwise, that account is at risk. So you're going to go in and find all the other buyers, potential champions. You're going to let the right rep know that their account just lost a champion and they should probably reach out to XYZ new people in order to save the account. And then for the new account, you want to go in and you want to say, okay, again, let the rep know, find out if that's actually an existing customer, not an existing customer. Is it a target account? Is it not a target account? Are they even a good account? Depending on that, you're going to route it to a rep 
Maybe you're going to do marketing first because it's too early. So you're going to start a campaign. And then how do you reach to that? Well, maybe you want to send that in Slack and then you want to give them follow-up actions. And if nothing happens, you want to just launch a new campaign, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of orchestration that needs to happen in the background to get from the inside of a champion just changed the job and we have a revenue opportunity to specific either humans or automation executing against that opportunity. And I think that's where revenue and growth really happens. It's like executing on that insight and really at scale getting that out. Yeah, it makes tons of sense. And everybody knows that Zoomitful is built on being on a, a very efficient and effective sales machine. <laughs> the words execution have a particular meaning <laughs> in your mouth. It makes sense, this notion of uh, trying to infuse the data in not one, but multiple workflows. It's very interesting. Now you, a little more than a year ago, you kind of uh, relaunch, if I may use this term, the Zoom Info offering. You have the Rev OS with four different OS. Maybe you can give us the high-level view and give us a sense of the breadth and our audience is mostly sales and sales operation. So focusing more on those two roles, give us an appreciation of what Zoom Info can do holistically for them and remove the pain of having to jungle multiple tools. Yeah, great question again. We want to cover the entire revenue system, the entire funnel. We started, and for the most part, we were prospecting solution. And that either falls into the marketing persona or the sales persona, depending on you may who runs the SDR team, et cetera. When you fast forward that today, we start at the top of the funnel. We have marketing OS for advertising. So you can do ABM programs, demand generation. Then you go into sales OS, which is the sales persona. And then we have our operations OS solutions, which is really the RevOps target. And operations OS basically makes sure that's exactly what we just talked about. The data is clean. Data is in a good place. The workflows and orchestration happens on top of that. When you put that together, it's really that trifecta between I align my marketing activities, I can reach the frontline so that the priorities of a frontline seller when they log in in the morning and they see what's the most impactful thing I can do today to drive revenue is aligned with where marketing is putting their dollars and they work the same lists and the same types of accounts. And the glue in between that makes sure that that actually happens and that we're operating with the right data and that the right things are prioritized, that's the operations of us offering. And so, yeah, it's really about bringing all of that together. And then the last thing I'll say is when I say sales, I really mean the frontline revenue teams. More than half of our customer base right now is really having their account executives, account managers, and CSM teams in particular on the platform. So we've really expanded this across the entire revenue function so that everyone operates right data, right workflow, and drives growth. Okay. We touch the combination of data and workflow. We've touched the signals and the way you can actually implement those in multiple workflow through data orchestration. You just touch the coverage, the functional coverage across the three main functions of the revenue. What are the other key differentiators? Zoom info. Yeah, yeah. You touched on all the right ones. There's two more I'll highlight. We're building this signal engine and this orchestration engine in that's kind of the source on top of the data that really drives a lot of the decision-making. Having all the data flow in and making the right prioritization decisions is really key for us. 
So it's about getting all the different in-market signals, in-deal cycle signals. Are we engaging with the right decision makers in that deal? How many minutes have we spent with the VP? And at the end of the day, what I want to get to is I want to prioritize my accounts and I want to prioritize my next best action. It's really that prioritization and orchestration layer that builds out the journeys. That's a huge part for us in how that connects. Because at the end of the day, the sellers or the go-to-market will prioritize and buy the solution that gives them the best revenue outcomes. And so it's really about minimize the noise and get the most likely revenue driving priorities in front of them and execute it. So that's one. And the second one is we're seeing obviously a lot of growth and traction upmarket in the enterprise. And so when we think about differentiation, there's there's a lot of things that are different if you have to do that for the global 1000 as opposed to the smaller one. And so we focus a lot on how do you deal with complex enterprise environments? How do you build an open ecosystem where we have any vendor being able to integrate with ZoomInfo and have a combined solution that goes to market? Just um, shared an, an integration with PeopleAI who are really successful in some of our large enterprise accounts with tools that we don't want to support internally. So really complement that out. And then lastly, it's about compliance and it's about enterprise-grade security compliance and the system that you build around that, which we've hired a very strong team behind. And that's how I would describe it. So best at finding, acquiring, reaching, and growing the customer base. And you need all of those things to be in place. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, it sheds some light. I know you've integrated with companies such as Snowflakes, Databricks, Amazon. So this is really this enterprise play where you want to weave yourself into whatever data layers or data infrastructure they built. Usually at this time of the show, David asked a question about AI. <laughs> if it's not taking his time slot, <laughs> how do you leverage AI in this offering? Anything intriguing that you want to comment? Yeah, I'm very happy to. That's probably our favorite subject this time of the year. So we think about AI first and foremost as an opportunity in the sense that every company that wants to use AI in their revenue motion they actually need to trust the data. You've all seen what happens if you plug really bad data into any sort of AI. You basically scale garbage, for the lack of a better term. It's really about that data foundation that becomes more important today than it was before. And so it's a huge opportunity for us. The second part is AI gets really interesting when you combine multiple data points together and you create it. So when we think about all the activities that happen currently in a revenue organization, we're able to combine a lot of that into a large part of optimization. So we have teams that are writing emails completely automatically. You've seen a lot of that out there. A lot of vendors are doing this. It makes a hell of a lot of difference if you take a generic email or if you give this thing the actual relevance and context that would drive us to recommend this to a rep to reach out. If you give all of that context to an AI, you get actually pretty good emails. And the same thing happens to advertising. If I give all the right context, this is the type of account. This is the type of customers. I know them from before. They've been a customer. They've also been a user. This is what they like. This is what they said in their last call, et cetera, et cetera. Get incredible personalization. And you combine that with relevance of what we just talked about earlier in the call. You really get engagement at scale that works. And we've seen that. We've seen tremendous results from that. So that's something we're really focused on. That impacts how people search because how people engage. 
And then the last thing I'll say on the AI front is we've obviously seen a lot of traction just helping us with better data. There's certain things that we've used internally and AI can help us pinpoint, create new attributes at scale that help our customers kind of expand to the data universe quicker than we've been able to do before. When you start to engage with companies, who usually brings in Zoom info initially? Are you getting more interest from the marketing side, the sales side, revenue operations? Yeah, we have about 35,000 customers today. A good chunk of our business actually comes from, they've started with something small and just talk through all the different products. We're going from the sales team to expand into the marketing team, to expand into the operations team and to grow even within the sales team. So that's a huge part of the opportunity for us. And the more you bring onto the Zoom Info stack, the more efficient this entire engine becomes and the more data points you collect, the better your recommendations become, et cetera. And then when it comes to new customers, I think our brand is still stronger in a sales side. So you'd have a either an SDR leader or a general revenue leader going there. We do have about a third or so of our customer base where the prospecting teams actually split marketing. And so it's a marketing leader, but from a prospecting angle, because it's a good opportunity to expand into, you know what, it's not just the SDR team, it's also your entire marketing stack that can run on Zoom Info for campaigns, for advertising, and then syncing that, bringing the SDR team and the marketing team behind the, the same accounts, the same activities, the same focus. Mm-hmm. And do you see that in your enterprise customers as well, where just one section of the enterprise will bring it in for the SDRs and then they'll start to expand from there? Or is it a different motion? Yeah, that's the primary motion. The other thing that's really interesting in larger enterprise accounts is they oftentimes have internal teams. They sometimes expand and bring us in to build more advanced models. They have lead scoring models or account scoring models. And so they need additional data points. And so we're combining basically the data science team and bringing them together with the revenue teams and really creating that data foundation. Really at market, they play a role too. Data science, data management, and then really connecting that into the revenue motion. It seems that other players in your space are expanding to the point where you just need a platform like Zoom Info and then a CRM. Do you see at some point those combining where you just need only Zoom Info or do we still need to have a CRM running in the background? Yeah, I genuinely believe that you need the CRM and I don't think that's going to go away in any shape or form. I think the CRM vendors for all matter of trying to expand and are doing phenomenal work in many of those areas too. You saw some of the things that HubSpot did, um, how Salesforce is leaning in. I don't think that we're going to see the CRM going away. I think what we're going to see is that every revenue organization needs basically in front of their sellers a sort of co-pilot that really helps them get their job done in a more productive way. And in order to do that, you need all the right context and relevant information in front of them, and you need to prioritize and you need to synthesize. That's one. And so there will be players that are going to do that. And again, it comes back down to the data foundation and the insights that you can provide there. And then the other part that you need is the orchestration. It really drives those priorities in front of people. Which accounts should you go after today? Which deals should you prioritize today? Even simple things as in like, you haven't followed up with this deal for five days. They've emailed and we haven't responded. Those things, they just need to be in a single place, single pane of gas in front of the people. They need to be orchestrated so that there's proper priority. I genuinely believe in that. And nowadays, that means you need to take 
third-party data like Zoom Info, if you combine it with first-party data that sits in the CRM or that comes from activity, engagement, emails, calls, everything that you're doing with customers. And then many of our customers, especially at market, they have their own models, they have other data sources, they have product data. Unless you can combine those data sets into one message to the frontline seller or into your automation, it's going to be chaos. Most of our customers today struggle more with chaos than anything else. The reps get hundreds of notifications across all those different tools. And you know what they do most is copy-paste from one place to another so that it stays consistent. That's the part that really can be struggled with. By the way, on the data side, on the RevOps side, it's even worse. Everyone had the data in the CRM. The CRM lost it. And then some of them moved it over to Snowflake and then built all this BI automation on top of it. But that didn't fully work. And now the data and gain side is different than in Snowflake and in CRM. And at the end of the day, chaos, right? That's really the main job that we have to do is clean that up, get a single great data source. You can build the entire go-to-market automation execution on top of it. And then you put that single pane of glass in front of the sellers so that they can execute and prioritize. That's really it. Mm -hmm. Nicholas, I got one more. So a lot of what you're describing is what SDRs inside sales reps used to do all day with their eight hours. You've essentially automated a big part of the job. Are we still going to need sales reps at some point in the future? I mean, in a few years, it seems like the only thing that's wrong with the picture right now is involving a human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very bullish. Maybe right now this sounds contrarian in, in saying we need the humans. We definitely do. I think the problem in the market, when you look at it, is at any given point in time, 2 or 3% of companies are in market for your solution right now. That's it's still a stat, and that will be the same in a couple of years. Right now, there's a lot of time spent going after the wrong accounts, researching the wrong accounts, trying to get into the wrong accounts, going to the wrong person in those accounts. It's all this waste that's driving kind of the inefficiency of power. But versus if you can switch that over and you can actually be in a line go to market between the teams, you can go after the prioritized accounts and you know what the next best action is, you increase the productivity of every human quite a bit in the order of magnitude. And now all of a sudden you're in a place where it's about how do I make a connection with a person I'm just reaching out to? Because I know that I'm relevant. I know that I'm personalized, but I still need to help them. I need to go through the deal. I need to close the deal. We're going to actually see a difference between automation versus the human much more than we do today. And I think that's going to show and come through. And I think that's the future of sales. Good. We still will have a job. <laughs> <laughs> for next couple of years. <laughs> I I, you know what? I said, I, <laughs> <laughs> I said I had one more, but I do have one, one more. I'll say one more thing, Rob, before you jump onto this. There's this thing that went around a while. It's like, as you're growing your career and, and as you're getting more senior, people become more of like editors versus content creators or the likes. Mm. And I think that's a really good analogy for what we're seeing on the for the sales team in the future as well. You can have all the Zoom infos and automation and AI of this world queue things up and prepare them into a as good as possible state. But I think the seller is still the one that owns the customer relationship. They're going to understand if it's the right play, what they're going to execute, how they're going to prioritize. And so they're going to get more into the, you get a first draft that you edit, you get a first draft that you review. And I think it's a good analogy of what productivity for sales actually means. It does. It makes sense. Well, maybe we're going back to steak dinners where we have to actually go out and talk to people face-to-face. <laughs> <and> -face. 
and build a relationship. Zoom info can take care of everything else, but we still have to have a relationship. The problem with Dave's question is they are very biased. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So, Dominic, correct me if I'm wrong, but a few years ago, Zoom Info bought a company called Comparably. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. And I used to work at Glassdoor like way back in the day. This is a long time ago. I was always curious about that acquisition and where it fits in. It's been a couple of years. I don't know if you were involved, but why did Zoom Info? By comparably? Yeah, excellent question. We just talked about kind of the go to market side of the world. And we view sales very similar in, in many motions and with the underlying data to recruiting. It's a very similar motion to find the right candidates, probably the same demographic data. There are signals that indicate that somebody's more or less likely to switch jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And so, what we haven't touched on in our portfolio is we have a recruiting product as well. A talent device type of product, similar to LinkedIn, that would have a sales solution and a talent solution type of business. And when you think about all the different things that create signals in the context of talent, comparably really fits in well. It's about employer brands, it's about perception of employers over time. So that gets a signal of somebody's interested. And it also gives you a signal on, is this company more or less attractive over time? And it's a solution that our buyers really care about as they're they're building out their profile. Think of this as an asset in the talent space. Makes sense. I knew that there was one that we hadn't touched on, the talent OS. So Mm -hmm. appreciate you that one. Good. I didn't know you spent some time at Glassdoor, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot about me you don't know. I'm discovering was... something new. <laughs> I know enough to detect the bias yeah. and loaded questions. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Dominic, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your wisdom here. It helps to prioritize and put Zoom info in the right light for our, our audience. So thank you. Yeah, big fan. Thanks for having me. And Nicholas, I guess, thank you. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, I want to go back to golf. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.